Hey friends, and welcome back to the Money Girl Podcast. I really appreciate you downloading the show. I'm Laura Adams, an award-winning finance author who's hosted Money Girl since 2008. I also work with select brands doing on-camera and writing work as a PR spokesperson and consumer advocate. But here on the show, I cover a wide range of personal and small business money topics. Things like building credit, dealing with debt, investing for retirement, real estate, paying taxes, having the right insurance, money management strategies, and lots more. So if you're ready for more knowledge, resources, and motivation to manage money the best way possible and create a richer life, you're definitely in the right place. Be sure to subscribe to the show and participate by sending me your money question or comments. There are a few ways you can do that. One is leaving a message 24-7 on our voicemail line at 302-364-0308. You can also email me using my contact page at lauradadams.com. In a recent show, I mentioned that I'm celebrating Women's History Month by bringing you interviews with diverse women sharing their financial expertise and tips for success. So today, I am honored to be joined by Denise Piazza, CPA and managing partner of One Street Capital. It's a private equity real estate firm focused on acquiring real estate assets in growing markets across the country. Denise has a very impressive background. She's worked in real estate, accounting, finance, and risk management for over 20 years. She's had finance and accounting roles with top Fortune 100 companies and managed over a billion dollars in acquisitions, joint ventures, and asset dispositions, making her a serious expert at analyzing data and developing financial models. Denise has been involved in over $300 million in real estate transactions. She's involved as an angel investor, a general partner, and a limited partner in thousands of units, and she's raised millions of dollars in private capital. Additionally, Denise has served on the Women's Leadership and Risk Management Committees of Fortune 100 companies. So whether you're brand new to the topic of real estate, you want to start actively investing in it, or you prefer a passive income strategy while someone else handles all the details, Don't miss this episode. Denise has some amazing tips to share with us. Here are just a few of the topics we cover. We talk about what real estate syndication is and the typical upfront capital you need, how to choose the best real estate investments, red flags to avoid, and tax considerations for potential real estate deals. We talk about how buying real estate as an investment is different from a primary residence. We talk about what the real estate professional status means to the IRS, ways to succeed in real estate, even with rising property prices and interest rates right now. We talk typical returns you might expect on real estate syndication investments, And Denise offers lots of free resources and where to go to get those. All right, without further ado, here is my interview with Denise. I am so excited to be here with Denise Piazza today from One Street Capital. Denise, give us a short introduction and tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. And thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here. I got started in the real estate industry um, over 20 years ago now. I was preparing some of my high, uh, some returns for my highest net worth clients. I'm a CPA. And I noticed one of the common denominators across their portfolios was 
was real estate investments. And it was largely due to the tax benefits. Um, I knew it was something that I eventually wanted to have in my portfolio and to get more involved in. And then fast forward a few years later, my husband and I, who are actually both CPAs, which we always say, if anyone has trouble falling asleep at night, please call us and we'll tell you all about our day. But we began investing in real estate across different asset classes, and we'd purchased single family homes, um, invested in triple net leases, uh, retail and, and multifamily or apartment assets. We started a company called One Street Capital. Um, and that was so that we could take all of the lessons that we learned from these experiences and and really provide others with education on determining what types of real estate investments make sense for their investing goals and to know how to ask the right questions just before diving into investing. So what you're telling me is that you noticed that high net worth people typically owned real estate. This was like a trend that you were seeing. Yes. I find that really, really interesting. Um, I'm mm-hmm. seeing a lot lately about real estate syndication. Tell me sure. what that is. If people are not familiar with that terminology, what does that mean? Absolutely. It's really just another term for a group real estate investment. So it's it's people bringing money together as a group they pull their money together and they're ultimately purchasing a property. Um, it can be a great way to get involved in real estate investments um, without having to go it alone. Um, so rather you investing in, let's just say, a single family rental property on your own, you invest in one of these larger commercial size properties with another group of investors. And it, it important, more importantly for me, um, was when I first started investing in syndication was that when you invest it passively in these group investments, you don't have to deal with the burden of tenants and having those phone calls in the middle of the night. And you get to really tap into different markets and opportunities that otherwise you wouldn't be able to get access to as an individual investor. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I do hear from a lot of people that are wondering, should I buy a primary residence? Should I buy a vacation home? A lot of people are buying vacation properties even before they buy their first home because they want to make some money on it. They want to they want to make an investment and they're not sure if their primary residence, you know, could be as profitable for them. Um, so I'm curious, how do you pick investments? You know, what are some of the criteria that you would recommend potential investors look at, you know, across different types of property? I'm sure you're looking at, you know, various property types. How do you just determine from the get-go if something is even worth looking at as an investment? When I acquire a property, I really say that we're investing in a certain market or a specific neighborhood. So when we have an investment opportunity, it's because we have spent a significant amount of time and energy researching that area first. And we have a lot of criteria that we look for when we're investing in a market, one of which is is just really strong levels of population growth and job growth. We also try to make sure that there's sufficient amount of job diversity. So you want to find an area with a variety of industries that support the economy. Job growth is much less enticing if you find that most of the jobs in an area are within, let's just say, the tourism industry. So a recession or a negative news story could largely impact 
uh, the number of tourists going into that market. So you really just want to make sure that that job market is diversified enough so that if there's a hiccup in one industry, it wouldn't affect the entire area as a whole. And and the other thing we also, that's really important to us um, and that I always emphasize is just an area where you can um, find some good schools and some low crime rates. Those are the types of factors that reduce your overall investment risk because your property is gonna be much more likely to appreciate in an area with those types of population growth and good schools and, and low crime. That's great. Now, what about if you're looking at more of a commercial property? That kind of gets a little bit more complex, doesn't it? It certainly does. You you want to look for those factors, but in addition to that, you also, Laura, want to make sure that there's um, you want to look at the supply and the demand of the apartment market. You know, for my for my example, um, we invest heavily into uh, multifamily or apartment assets. So you want to look at how each new piece of um, inventory that's coming online is being absorbed into that market. You want to make sure that there's not an oversupply of um, housing in that market. And you also want to make sure that it's an area that has a lot of renters, um, basically, so that you know that there's going to be a lot of people who are looking to um, move into your property. If somebody is thinking, gosh, I would really like to invest in maybe my first property, who would you say is a good candidate for that? Um, I mean, do you need more money than you typically would for your residence? Do you need better credit? Do you need different kind of underwriting criteria mm-hmm. for a potential lender? Like, what are some things that people may not know about investing that they need to be prepared for? Yeah, I think if you're going to buy a single family property, one thing that you need to be aware of is that it actually requires more capital upfront because you're investing in, you're the sole, pretty much the sole investor into that property. So you're going to require, you know, that 20% down or whatever it may be for that particular residence. Sometimes when you look at a single family property too, it can present a little bit more risk only from the perspective of if you have one tenant in the property and they move out of the property, you know, you're exposed to not having any rental income coming in and then you will have to to actually cover all the costs of the property and the mortgage as well. So you just want to make sure you do all, as you said, your due diligence, your underwriting, you want to make sure that you have sufficient, um, what I like to call them, reserves, so that if you are going to buy a single family property, you're going to be covered should the resident move out um, and it takes some time to get it occupied again. The other component that I would say that makes somebody a good um, candidate for real estate investing is someone that's just looking for diversification in their portfolio. Diversification reduces your risk. And let's be honest, uh, 2022 was a really challenging year for the stock market. And, you know, 2023 may prove to be similar. I don't pretend to have that crystal ball, but I still, and I still have personally a portion of my portfolio in the market. But I did want to make sure that, you know, we were diversified, you know, across different portfolios, across different asset types with all the volatility that's taken place in the last several months. Um, And an asset like real estate and specifically for us, multifamily tends to be a more recession resistant, uh, resilient asset. 
So people will always need a place to live. Um, and when you invest in good markets and good opportunities, you get strong returns and some more diversification in your portfolio. So obviously, one of the services you provide is finding these potential deals to begin with, I mean, saving people a ton of time in not having to do the research or work with a local real estate agent, uh, which obviously is extremely time-consuming. What else do you offer people who work with you? You know, kind of what's the expectation of somebody coming in for the first time to work with you? So our bread and butter has really been in acquiring multifamily assets. So as I mentioned, when you're investing into a real estate syndication, you're investing in an asset that wouldn't necessarily be um, be available to an individual investor. It's more of an institutional quality investment. So you get all of the benefits associated with real estate, like the cash flow, the tax benefits, but you get it by only passively investing into the asset itself. So you're, again, you're not dealing with the, um, all of the work associated with being a land, a landlord and having tenants. We're doing really all that work up front to identify the right markets, identify the right properties, and to work with our property management team to help manage that asset. And the reason why we focus on multifamily is is twofold, and the first of which is just the risk involved. So I think back to the basic fundamentals of what people need to survive, and that's food, shelter, and water. And fortunately for us, you can't live on the internet, so there'll always be that need for housing. And when you compare real estate to the stock market and some other asset classes, it was really the best performing asset going back even as far as you know just the great financial crisis in 2008 the values in the multifamily asset class or the apartment asset class were really the quickest to rebound during that time of significant financial distress so the risk associated with it is one of the the reduced risk associated with it is one of the main reasons why we have that as an offering to our investing community there's also been a huge gap growing between home ownership and the people that are renting um, in the United States. And it's become increasingly unaffordable for people to afford a home. You know, the more recent interest rate hikes um, that took place over the last several months, our rates went from about three and a quarter percent closer to seven percent at one point. Now I think it's back down to about six and a half percent. But with that hike, the number of people that can afford to buy a home went from 44 million people all the way down to 26 million. And it's crazy when I stop and think about that. The affordability problem only got worse um, in the last several months with all the interest rate hikes. There was already a housing shortage prior to that. But with the interest rate hikes that took place, it made it just exacerbated the problem significantly. So let's say, you know, you're somebody who wants to think about a syndication. You're, you know, you're thinking about how do I get get started? What might be a typical upfront investment? How much should somebody think about like just saving at a minimum to get involved? I would say when investing in a typical syndication, the minimum investment typically ranges anywhere from 25,000 to 50,000 depending on the offering. Every investment can be structured a bit differently, but I'd say those are the most common minimum investing amounts. And so that's why when I was saying 
there's pros and cons to different types of investments, whether it be acquiring that single family home um, or, you know, investing more passively. The single family home actually requires, or an investment property actually requires more significant capital typically than a real estate syndication. So you might be putting a larger down payment and again, having to do more of the work on your own. So if you're somebody that likes to be more hands-on and likes to um, be more involved, then I would say, you know, that single family rental property and has more liquidity, that, that single family rental might be a bit more up your alley. If not, and you're looking to just dip your toe in, I would say maybe, you know, explore the benefits of investing more passively in a syndication. Yeah. And so with that passive investment, should you typically expect lower returns? You know, I know you can't give absolutes here, but what could be just an idea or maybe a ballpark that somebody could expect as a a general return, maybe on kind of the low end up to maybe the high end? So we target an annual return of about 15 to 20%. And that's over the life that we are holding the asset. So we treat all of our properties and our purchases like we're acquiring a business. So it just so happens to be real estate. But for me, we're buying um, an apartment complex and there's a, a lot of capability with the assets that we acquire to increase the property's income so that we can ultimately sell that property or refinance it at some point and then give investors their capital back and to still achieve that strong, you know, 15 to 20% annual return over the life of the whole period. So it's just a different path. Um, One is not necessarily for me better than the other. It's just a different path and really what is more closely aligned with your personal and your investing goals. Yeah, that that's impressive. And um, certainly something to give people something to think about in terms of maybe what they're getting on in their, you know, investment portfolio right now with mainstream uh, investments and, and thinking about that. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You mentioned interest rates earlier, and I'm curious if those higher interest rates have kind of changed your strategy a little bit. Is there anything that you know you've done differently or you would recommend investors do just in general as the cost of acquiring these assets is is going up? Sure. I would say that one thing that we've done um, over our last several acquisitions is we acquire properties using fixed rate debt. We will work with local lenders, with large banks to acquire a property for the strongest fixed rate debt that we can at the time. And what makes it really nice to buy right now is that you can acquire at that what's you know been typically a higher interest rate than has been in the past, you can, just like you can with your single family home, you can acquire at a higher rate. And when ultimately the inflation and the economies and, and the capital markets are a bit more stable, you can then refinance the property and then um, be able to achieve that lower interest rate once the rates are lowered. And that allows you to also ultimately also return capital to um, your investor base. So because your property has appreciated, you've increased income, and you've been able to you know, successfully execute your business plan, and then you refinance into that lower rates. So I would say that's one strategy that we've, um, that we've done in the past 
you know, several acquisitions. The other one is to just really use less debt overall when we're acquiring a property. So when we acquire a property, we, we use, um, for the first um, component of it, the mortgage of the property. And then we also um, use that investor capital, that that pooled capital that I referenced to ultimately acquire the property. So we're using less debt because the interest rates are higher and we're using a bit more capital to actually acquire our property, reducing the overall risk that we have um, with the debt structure. I'm curious about your opinion on how much you should have in your portfolio? What do you think is a good amount of real estate to own overall? And, and this is obviously going to vary so much from person to person, but I'm curious what your opinion is. I think that it really is dependent on your investing goals. Um, I think depending on how much you um, how much you would prefer to have assets that are more tax advantaged that we talked about. So a lot of people don't think about their um, returns from their portfolio on an after-tax basis. Unfortunately, as a CPA, it's I think it's permanently ingrained in my brain. Um, but you know, if you want to have some of your assets that um, you know have a bit more of a tax advantage compared to other assets available other tradi- more traditional assets like the stock market and mutual funds and things of that nature you want to allocate a portion of your investments to real estate i don't think of a real estate investment as a get rich overnight strategy i i do not think that's that's how you should approach it or that's how it works when you're trying to figure out what the right percentage is for your investing goals but the returns are strong and um, it's more recession, as I mentioned, it's it's typically more recession resilient than other asset classes. So I think it's really dependent on your risk tolerance, you know, how much volatility you want in your portfolio and how quickly you want your um, wealth to grow. Yeah. Are there any red flags that you would recommend people just, you know, stay away from if there's something they see as they're out looking for a single family home or even a a triplex or, you know, a small apartment if they're thinking, yeah, I'm going to get some passive income on my own. If they're out Mm -hmm. scouting about, what should they really watch out for? Uh, Maybe some mistakes that you've seen people make. You want to try to avoid a property that has not been taken care of for a long period of time, especially if you're just starting out investing on that property. With, that would be a lot called a lot of deferred maintenance, things that maybe the prior owner has ignored for a long period of time. So um, you know the landscaping, the roof, the um, you know the in some of the part some parts of the internal structure, windows, doors. If you are just starting out as a real estate investor, I would avoid a property with a lot of ongoing maintenance issues. So that's one area where I would highly suggest maybe until you're a more seasoned investor and you know, you know what really what co- what everything costs in order to repair certain aspects of the property itself. Another area where I typically steer people away from is just really the debt structure of a property. So whether you're investing in a single family, um, a triplex, or a large apartment complex, you really don't want to have too much debt on that property. One way that you can measure it is uh, a 
a financial metric called a loan to value ratio. And that's really just the percentage of how much debt that you have on the property relative to its value. So obviously you just don't want to have that ratio be too high because then you're at risk for not being able to make any money from the property and ultimately have a higher risk of losing the property by not being able to pay your bills. Similarly, in the debt structure, um, I also tell people right now, especially in the environment that we're in, you know, to look for opportunities with fixed rate debt, things that, you know, are not in flux and floating rate with the market. If they are purchasing something with a floating rate, make sure that there's an interest rate cap that's put on onto that property so that the interest rate cannot exceed a certain level. Uh, so those are some of the most common red flags that I see um, in acquiring properties. Yeah. And you mentioned taxes earlier. What should potential investors really know about taxes? What are kind of the, obviously there's a lot to know, but maybe some of the yep. main points for buying and selling um, that come into play that can kind of hurt you if, if you know, you're not aware of it up front. There's been a lot of discussion in the news on how some of the wealthiest American pay some of the lowest amount of tax on their earnings. And in my opinion, the best way to understand that is really to look at their returns and what types of assets they invest in. And so one strategy that they use is um, investing in real estate, and that's because of the most powerful tool in the IRS code, which is the concept of depreciation. An example of depreciation is really just the, the value of your car decreasing as soon as you drive it off the lot. Real estate is just one type of investment that benefits from that power of depreciation. The value of your property it increases over time, but the tax basis is actually decreasing as your property depreciates. The one beauty of investing in real estate is unlike certain other asset classes, it can actually lower your after-tax obligation um, rather than increase it, unlike you know some mutual funds or stocks or things of that nature, one thing to be aware of is just you know as you said some things that you might not know before going into it is there's passive real estate and then there's active real estate. So it depends on um, whether your passive income, um, meaning any um, any rental property or anything that you receive from a syndication. Any paper loss from depreciation cannot necessarily be offset against your active income. So if you're a W-2 employee or if you own your own business, that's active income. Your passive losses can only offset that active income if you are something called a real estate professional status. And um, if you go to our website um, at onestreetcapital.com, I have a lot of different articles on tax uh, benefits. And, and um, one of the areas that I talk about is this real estate professional status and all of the things that the IRS requires for you to qualify for that. Since there is a lot of tax considerations when you own real estate, do you think that investors should always work with a tax professional? I know you are a tax professional, <laughs> but what do you think about that? Why CPA once told me um, it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. And unfortunately, not all CPAs and not all tax professionals are created equal. And there's a big difference between someone who 
an accountant who prepares your tax return and one who actively works with you on tax strategies. So one of the, I always say one of the secrets of the wealthy is that tax planning is not something that's done at the end of the year or during tax season. It's something that they consider throughout the year. So hiring a CPA um, who will work with you on implementing tax strategies is, you know, is really fundamental to growing wealth. Denise, is there any like final advice that you can give for investors who want to make obviously the most profitable deals out there? Any tips or, or hints, especially right now with our markets being pretty tight in most of the, the U.S., any advice to find the best deals or the most profitable deals? There's actually a great free resource that we have on our website, and it's called um, you can download it free from our website. It's called 50 Questions That You Should Ask Before Passively Investing in Real Estate. Um, it's just a great guide for a beginner or even someone that's slightly experienced with real estate to consider before jumping into an investment. Um, that's a great resource and can really help pinpoint what makes a good quality real estate investment. Um, the other thing that we have a lot of resources on our website is um, for that tax strategy and tax planning. They're all free. And it's not just re- it's not even just about real estate investing. Um, we also put out some content on tax planning and strategies for business owners, how you can try to minimize tax burden, even if you're a W-2 employee, all 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 different avenues for you to pursue to try to really think about tax as being the largest expense that we bear as Americans. I mean, so when you think about it from that perspective, um, I think it really helps frame your mindset. I love free information and advice. So leverage all of that great information um, and think about what real estate might do for you. As Denise said, it if it's part of your goal, if it's part of your uh, overall strategy for diversification, um, I think it can be a really important part of planning for the future and and you know making sure you have the the types of income and assets that you want for the lifestyle that you're looking at in retirement. Even if you want to retire early, a lot of people do that with real estate income. I'm sure Denise, you've seen clients uh, do that and take advantage of that income well ahead of that, you know typical 65 age that that we normally retire. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen so many people, um, you know, get build up their real estate portfolio and their real estate investments. Um, and basically, you live from that passive income. So that passive income, you know, you're you're you acquire the property, you have tenants, and then you get the check in the mail every month. And um, they've been able to, you know, when you start early. Or even if you don't, I mean, I I didn't start. I, I think one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't start earlier. Um, and so even when you don't start early, you can still get the benefits. Um, and again, the nice thing about it is a lot of these, the cash that you get can be tax deferred from this type of um, income, this passive income. So it's a really nice benefit. Um, and I've seen many people retire before the age of 65 because of their real estate investing. And they also look at these assets like it's creating generational wealth for their family. So um, some assets they hold on to forever. And as you can imagine, you just watch those values increase and appreciate um, and 
you know, one day you sell them and, um, and it's, and it's a really nice, um, source of income. Denise, how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure. They can visit our website at onestreetcapital.com. That's O-N-E street with no S, capital.com. Or you can email me, um, Denise, at onestreetcapital.com as well. Denise, thank you so much. I love all of your tips and advice for real estate investment. You have such a unique angle on this topic, I think, being a a tax pro as well. Um, So this is just really great. And uh, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. It was great. A big thanks to Denise for sharing your real estate knowledge with the Money Girl community. It was so great having you on. Be sure to follow Money Girl on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you automatically get each weekly episode. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, here's to living a richer life. Money Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg with editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchins. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Cameron Lacey.